David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. I'm Elliot Harris. We have two great guests today, a football Hall of Famer and a soon-to-be basketball Hall of Famer. Bob Slick Leonard, who on Valentine's Day was notified he's going to be a 2014 inductee to the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame with induction this August. And we have former San Diego Charger and before that Southern Cal offensive tackle Ron Mix. First up, Bob Leonard. I see Slick. Who gave you the nickname Slick? George Mikan. How did they come George about? Mikan in a Hollywood gin game. I blitzed him across the board. Right when the bus lights came on, he says, how about buying me a cup of coffee? You're too slick for me. And all the guys heard him say that, and they started calling me that. I, I would have thought it would have been maybe for your ball handling ability, something exciting on the basketball court. <laughs> no, but, but I did get it from one of the greatest centers that ever played the game, changed a lot of the rules in the NBA. What was it like being alongside a... A, a giant in the game, you know, literally and figuratively, like George Mikan. Well, uh, you know, George uh, won four or five world four world championships in the early fifties, and he had a law degree, was practicing law, and then uh, we had some problems with the Lakers, and when we were in Minneapolis, and uh, so he came in for a year to coach, and uh, he was just a great human being, a great guy. Uh, fun to be around, cared about people. Uh, my experience with George Mikan was a good one. You grew up in Indiana. Was Indiana University your first choice for a college, or would you want to play somewhere else back then in the late 40s? Well, well I only made a few visits when I got out of high school. I, I made a visit to North Carolina State uh, because Everett Case was down there, and he was a former Indiana high school coach, and then I visited Kentucky uh, with Adolph Rupp and Harry Lancaster, and I visited uh, uh, Notre Dame. Moose Grouse offered me a scholarship to Notre Dame, and uh, it got down to not running around uh, to all the schools you had offers from, but where did you want to go? And I wanted to play for Branch McCracken at Indiana. He was always already pretty much of a legend by the time you signed on to go to Indiana. What, what was he like as a human being and as a coach? Well, Branch McCracken, uh, you know, back then, uh, back in the early 50s, they didn't have television was just starting out. Uh, had they had television like it is today, when Branch, he would have been one of the greatest personalities on on television. He was a great guy. He was a two-time All-American. He was an All-American in two sports at IU in the in the early 30s. 
uh, and had already won an NCAA championship in 1940. So uh, when we won the one in 53, this was an Indiana team in 53 that I was on that was probably, as I look back, maybe the only team in IU history that should have won back-to-back championships. We should have won it in 54. Who stopped you in 54? We got upset on a controversial call by Notre Dame. And they had to kill you because Indiana and Notre Dame are bitter rivals. Well, they are. They are not as much as, uh, they're not, uh, as much of a rivalry as, say, the, the Big Ten schools like University of Illinois, uh, Iowa, Minnesota. Uh, those are the real rivalries because back then you had to win the Big Ten championship to get into the NCAA tournament. They only took the conference champions, 16 conference champions from around the country, and that was the NCAA tournament. Then you had the pleasure of winning the national championship against Kansas in what was essentially a Kansas home game. They played that one on Kansas City. Yeah, and they then, were right <laughs> And, you know, Kansas always had sort of that built-in advantage for at least the early round games. They'd, they'd have to travel uh, just a, a few miles to Kansas City to play. And the guy who hit the uh, the winning free throw was named Bob Leonard. But that was the second of two free throws. You, you yeah, I got the to the line. I got to the line, and uh, uh, thank God, thank God, I made the second one, <laughs> how, how which ended pressure? up being the winning points. There were still 27 seconds, so we had to really put some defense on, which we did, and. Uh, they they had to take a desperation shot out of corner. And we had been beaten three times that year on last-second shots. We'd been beaten by Kansas State. on a, Well, I'm talking about we lost three games by a total of five points in seven seconds. Wow. So, uh, you know, I just closed my eyes when that shot was taken. <laughs> I thought, boy, it can't happen again. At least you weren't playing Notre Dame. You had to worry about the luck of the Irish. Well, they had, uh, in those days, Notre Dame was very good. Johnny Jordan was the coach. Uh, they were a very good ball club. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, two very good ball clubs were, and they were at large teams were Notre Dame and DePaul of Chicago with Ray Meyer. In that championship game, there was some controversy when, uh, E.H. Bourne either fouled out or didn't foul out. They had him down for five fouls, and then the, after consulting with the officials, all of a sudden he had four fouls. What, I, I know McCracken wasn't too happy. What was the reaction among the players? I, I can't even uh, I can't even recall that uh, really. I know okay. one of our players, Charlie Crock, out of Collinsville. I know he got a technical, but I can't remember the controversy over B. H. Bourne. You know, they, the amazing thing about it is uh, when it comes down to the tournament, they made B.H. Bourne the most valuable player at the Final Four. That was a joke. It should have been Don Schlent because we won the championship. How, how good was he, Schlent? Well, I, I have to look at my dear friend, and I mean a dear friend, uh, all the way through the pro game and 
the broadcasting game when I'd go to United Center, uh, Johnny Kerr out of Illinois. And Johnny played uh, 12 or more years in the NBA uh, and did very, very well. And uh, the battles between him and Schlunt, uh, Indiana versus University of Illinois, Schlunt uh, usually outscored him every time. Then you get drafted by the Lakers. Did you think you wanted to play professional basketball, or did you think you wanted to go on with your life? Well, I I had uh, two years in the military. Back then, you had to do a deuce in the military, so I thought, well, I'd get mine out of the way quickly. Uh, graduating in 54, I just went right in, got it out of the way, and then I went to training camp with the, uh, with the Minneapolis Lakers where you got to play for another legendary coach in John Cundla. Yeah, Johnny's in the Hall of Fame. Boy, Johnny, Johnny's still alive. He's still alive. He's up in his 90s, but uh, John is still living. We just lost a real good one, and I played with him. Uh, he was on the front line with Mike and Jim Pollard, uh, and his name was Vern Mickelson, and he just passed away here in the last week or so. Okay, yeah, you you guys had a, a, a pretty decent team with the Lakers. You, you didn't have people coming out to see you. But I, I know uh, your second season, I think you had uh, Jim Krebs, who was the center out of Southern Methodist. You had Hot Rod Hunley out of West Virginia. And then you had Mickelson, uh, Dick Garmaker, Larry Faust, Ed Fleming, you. Not a bad team, I wouldn't think. No, I, I, remember, I, I remember watching you guys play. When you would come to St. Louis, well, you know that uh, that was that was a little bit of a rivalry there. Of course, I had played uh, in the NCAA tournament both years uh, in '53 and '54 against Bob Pettit, and uh, you know he just he kept improving and improving. By the time he became a legend in the pro game, and uh, of course in the Hall of Fame, but. Uh, we had a decent ball club, but we didn't really get pretty good until we got Elgin Baylor. I mean, he transformed the game. I mean, he played above the rim when it was basically just a spot-up shooting game, right? Well, I tell you, Elgin Baylor was was a great player. Uh, we don't hear his name enough today because he's still in the record books. His rookie year, we we were playing in Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, against New York Knicks, as a rookie, he hit the Knicks with 71 points. Uh, I've still got cufflinks of <laughs> half a basketball with a 71 on them. Uh, yeah, Elgin, Elgin was a great, great player. Well, you know, he was Dr. J and Michael Jordan before those guys even existed on the planet. He, El, Elgin, brought a, a different life form. To the basketball court, as far as I could tell. Well, that uh, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, uh, of course, when we moved when we moved the Laker franchise to Los Angeles, which I was on that first Los Angeles Laker team, then we added Jerry West as a rookie, and uh, we that was a good ball club. I mean, that front line you mentioned, you guys were solid. I mean, you had Mickelson and Lavellet. I mean, those were the, the original twin towers. Well, we had, like I said, we we had a decent ball club. Uh, 
in 59, I think it was 59, we went to the World Championship Series against the Celtics. Celtics were so tough back in those days. I mean, I don't know, they won 10, 11 World Championships, and uh, they weren't good until they got Bill Russell, and Bill Russell changed everything. You could thank St. Louis for that trade. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just talked to a guy that was involved in that trade, Cliff Hagen from Kentucky. Uh, so Easy Ed McCauley and Cliff Hagen and, and the Celtics got Bill Russell. I enjoyed watching Hagen and McCauley, but I, I would have preferred to have had Bill, <laughs> Bill Russell as the center instead of Charlie Shear and some of the, and Clyde Lavelle well, and some of the other guys. You know, that, that changes the whole ball game of St. Louis and had Bill Russell and Pettit on that front oh. line. You know, I, I think I could have played guard on that team. <laughs> now, uh, one of your coaches, you did play on the back line for the, the Hawks, Jack McMahon, right? Yeah, Jack, uh, Jack was a, a St. Louis Hawk, and then later on in Chicago after the expansion draft, uh, Jack was a coach in Chicago. So, yeah, I ran into Jack again. But that expansion, those that expansion basketball isn't any fun. I mean, you just don't have the. Back then, uh, each ball club had ten players. We didn't have fifteen like they do today. You had ten players, and you had to put up when there was an expansion. Where Chicago was, you had to put up three players out of ten. And uh, my name was put up, and uh, so I came into Chicago and played a year or so, and then I I was injured so. So much that I that I had to I, I had to retire from playing, and right away they hired me as the head coach. You mentioned John Condo. I talked to him last year. I mean, he's sharp as a tax, though. He still mentions those Lakers teams how great they were. Well, he Johnny Johnny had a lot of success. I mean, you're you're looking at a guy that. Uh, there's not too many guys. There's Red Auerbach, uh, and I can't think of uh, the other guy, any other coach that won four world championships. Can you? Phil Jackson, maybe. and that's about it. Phil Jackson and maybe Popovich. No, exactly. I mean, he was good. Condor said he just didn't want to move to L.A., and that's why he didn't go there. He wanted to stay in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, he's a Minnesota guy. He loves that cold weather up there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, with the Zephyrs, you, you got to see a, another Indiana alum come in and do pretty well, a guy by the name of Walt Bellamy, who was about as dominant a Big Ten center as I can recall. Well, I by that time I was in coaching, and Walt came in, and he was, uh, he was uh, uh, the rookie of the year. Uh, put up big numbers, and then right after that, we got another Indiana kid out of Purdue that was rookie of the year by the name of Terry Dishinger. So we had two rookies of the year. Dishinger beat out John Havlicek of Celtics for rookie of the year, so that tells you how good he was. Yeah. So we had two guys do very well. And the, and the next thing you know, you're in Baltimore. Baltimore Bullets. Yep. We... Uh, we if, if we hadn't been so young, if I could have stayed there, I drafted a kid out of uh, out of Idaho on the second round by the name of Gus Johnson, 
and he ended up being one of the great defense defensive players in NBA history. And he's in the Hall of Fame now. Uh, died at a young age, but uh, Gus was special. The old the games after I left, the games between the the Baltimore Bullets and the New York Knicks were legendary. The battles between Gus Johnson and Dave DeBusher were uh, something to see. Kind of like the battles with you and Bob Cousy. Yeah, I, I guarded Cousy a lot of times. A lot of times, you know, I look back now and I uh, and I've either I've either played against, coached against, or broadcast games. And every player that's come down the pike in the last 60-some years. And, uh, you know, when you look back and say, well, I played against Bill Russell and Bob Cousy, and I played against Wilt Chamberlain, uh, there's not a whole lot of guys can say that. What was less fun, going down, driving the lane against Russell or Chamberlain? Uh, Russ, Russ was a great shot blocker. He was a great shot blocker. Uh, you know, I saw Russ on on... On one possession, I saw him block six shots where the shot was taken in it, and he blocked the shot, and the, 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 the team that had the ball picked up picked it up and shot again. He blocked that, and he blocked that, and he blocked that. You know, he was uh, that Celtic fast break, the way he came out of there with that ball, being a rebounder and a shot blocker, that Celtic fast break was as good as any fast break that I've seen since those early Celtics with Cousy in the middle, Tommy Hines and running one outside lane, Frank Ramsey from Kentucky running the other outside lane, Cousy in the middle. That was a great fast break, and Russell got it started. Well, you, you, the, you know, the guards could release early because they knew once the shot went up, it's either going in or Russell's going to get it. And all he had to do was make the make the outlet pass, right? Yeah, they. You know, it's it's amazing to me today. You know, where they talk about triple doubles and all these things, and you know, Russell had games. They talk about Dennis Rodman, rebounder. Russell had games where he got thirty five, thirty six, forty rebounds in one game. Uh, Chamberlain the same way. Uh, they were big time. They were big time. A lot of the former players tell us that Russell was the best ever. Do you agree with that? No, I, I can't say that. I, you know, I'm asked all the time uh, who is the greatest player. I, I never do that. I, I usually uh, pick. I can pick ten guards, probably ten forwards, and probably a half dozen centers. And uh, I never get into trying to pick that, to pick that greatest player of all time stuff, because I and and the answer I give them is, do you think Michael Jordan could guard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? No, so you know I take them as to position. Well, you've certainly seen a, a lot of great players, and not all of them were in the NBA. A lot of them were in the American Basketball Association, where you ended up coaching with the Pacers when they were in the ABA. And you, you had more than your share of pretty decent ballplayers on those teams. Uh, you know, 
Roger Brown, well, Mel Daniels. That, that front line, the front line that I had with the Pacers, and I go back and look at front lines all the way back, and some of them would have two players in the front line, some of them one, but very few. There were very few teams that ever had three. And with the Pacers, I had three because I had two guys that are in the Hall of Fame now, Mel Daniels and Roger Brown, and another guy that will be in the Hall of Fame, George McGinnis. And that's one of the, uh, that's one of the outstanding front lines in basketball. And you did pretty well with them, winning a couple championships. Won three of them. Went to the championship series five times, won three championships. And in 1973, just to give you an example of how fast the, the American Basketball Association improved, the, N- the NBA did not like the ABA at all because we were, we were the league that, much like the NFL and the AFL, we were the league that gave more players an opportunity and a bartering point. And the NBA didn't go for that. So in 73, the New York Knicks won the NBA championship, and we won the ABA championship. So they thought, I think at that time, they thought, well, let's match up those two, and maybe we can embarrass the ABA. Well, they came in, and... uh we had a luncheon, and Bill Bradley got up to the lunch and started talking about the cornfields of Indiana, and it it kind of uh, upset our guys. But that night, and that's the team with Walt Frazier, Earl of Pearl Monroe, Willis Reed, Dave DeBusher, and Bill Bradley was starting lineup. And what, Jerry Lucas and, was coming off the bench? Well, they had, they had guys coming off the bench, too, but... Uh, at the end of the third quarter, we had them down 17. So that tells you a little bit about our front line. <laughs> how, as a coach, how were you able to get all those players satisfied with only one basketball, with all that talent? Well, I, you know that uh, that that's no problem really. Uh, guys, Guys, if they want to win, they understand it's a team game. We don't uh, we don't get involved in that. The big thing is to to get players to uh, govern themselves, where they won't let another player let them down. And uh, I think that happens in a lot of circumstances. That happened in the uh, that happened in the uh, Green Bay Packer years with Ben Somebody. That's what he always tried to do was to get players to govern themselves and, and, and so nobody would let anybody down and so it uh, it never ever came down to that. You, know, you play, go out there and play basketball. Did you enjoy the three point shot in the ABA? Well, when I first started uh, when uh, they wanted me to come in and coach the Pacers, I, I, I told my wife Nancy, I said, you know, they got a red, white, and blue ball in a three-point line, and I can't, you know, I'd been an NBA player, and I said, I can't see how that can last very long. Well, the rest is history because it did last, and the two greatest rules that I've seen come in in my time, uh, Danny Biasone with Syracuse Nationals, which is now the Philadelphia 76ers, 
when they had a ball holding thing when George Mikan was playing Fort Wayne Pistons, now the Detroit Pistons, held the ball on the on the Lakers and the score was nineteen eighteen. That's when Danny Byzone got everybody together and so we gotta have a shot clock, which was a twenty four second clock. The next greatest rule that I've seen put in is the three point line. It used to be if you had a six or eight point lead with or ten point lead with two minutes to go, people start heading for the exits. Well the three point line changed all that. You witnessed so, a guy use that to his advantage, Reggie Miller. Would the Pacers come well, back from like ten down that one game with about twenty seconds to go? Yeah, the miracle at Madison Square Garden in the playoffs. Reggie scored eight points in thirteen seconds. <laughs> and uh that that one that that's an all timer. That's one of the greatest the greatest ones I've ever seen. Yeah. Now to me the ABA was to basketball what the AFL was to to pro football, the, a lot more fun, a lot more up and down, uh, entertainment value than just the pure basketball or pure football. It was, was fun coaching. Oh yeah, it was fun coaching. Sure. Anytime you're winning, I don't care what league you're in. If you're winning, then it's fun. Uh, losing is misery. That's the way it is. How did the phrase "boom baby" start? Well, it, it, you know, really hit. It really got uh, really going uh, during the eighteen years that I spent with Reggie, and that was just a matter of one night. Uh, I think it was against the Celtics at uh, Boston Garden, and uh, I said "boom" when Reggie hit. It was a big shot, you know. And I, then I just added baby. And after that, it was boom, baby. And Reggie probably, even Larry Bird said that Reggie hit more game winners than he, any player he'd ever known. The fans in Chicago were were not big fans of Reggie Miller, but I think it was more because he was so good. Well, it, it, you know, it was a little showtime uh, with Reggie. Uh he put on a show, and he had some antics, but the guy was really a great shooter. I always said that the Bulls should have taken Reggie Miller instead of Scottie Pippen, and people say that Reggie and Michael could not have coexisted together in the same team. Well, that wasn't the need, you know. You're you're looking at uh, you're looking at another great player in Scottie Pippen. You're looking at one of the outstanding small defensive forwards, a guy that could score. A guy that fit in per- perfectly with Michael Jordan, and you know you're looking at a guard, a guard small forward situation there. Whereas with Reggie, you know you you don't need a Michael Jordan and a, uh, Michael Jordan and a Reggie Miller in the backcourt. Was the transition from coach to broadcaster fairly easy for you? Well, it. it uh, it's really been easy. I have a great play-by-play man. We've been been together almost. Mark Boyle, he's a Hall of Famer, and they, we've been together almost 25 years. And uh, he's one of the one of the best play-by-play announcers in the game. Uh, the popularity here in Indiana is is I throw in that old folksy Hoosier. 
voice, and uh, people kind of like it. When are you going to go in the Hall of Fame? It's long overdue. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the criteria is for the Hall of Fame. You know, I go back uh, at Indiana. I made All-American twice and won an NCAA championship and had a good pro career. Uh, and then I had a good coaching career. So I, I don't know what the criteria is, but uh, it's not a priority with me at this stage of the game. Any thoughts of retiring? Are you going to be like Vin Scully and oh, go? I, I, I wouldn't retire. I wouldn't uh, retire. People, people that retire uh, get, uh, I don't know what it is, they get bored with life. And, uh, this, is, this is fun for me. Now, this, uh, at my age, it's fun, and, and my, my wife and I both enjoy it, so uh, we'll keep going as long as we can. What made you want to write a book? Well, I have been, uh, a lot of people during the last 20, 25 years uh, have been after me to write a book. And uh, I started thinking, I started thinking at my age now that if I'm going to leave something for my grandkids uh, where they can, down the road, they can look and great-grandkids, they can look and see what their grandpa did during his life. So that's why I did the book. And also there is a Slick Leonard documentary that should be forthcoming. Does that sound right? That's what they tell me. Yeah. Well, you ought to know, right? <laughs> well, yeah. They, uh, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, that uh, they said that it's going to be ready sometime in April or May, down the road a little bit. Being 42, um, I don't remember this, but... When we talked to Elgin Baylor, he mentioned this about the plane crash with the team. Yeah. Were, you, were you on that plane? Yeah, I sure was. He, yes, to sir, I was he that told plane. that story, and it was that had to be scary as can be. Well, it was. I mean, you're up there, uh, you're up there, two or three hours trapped in a snowstorm and running out of gas and no electrical system, and the pilot half sticking his head out the window to scrape off the ice and. You're lost. We were very lucky. Very lucky the way it turned out. He could have taken the whole ball club down. Right. Now, with the 2013-14 Pacers, you've been seeing a lot of good basketball. How, how good a team is this? This is a good ball club. This is a good ball club. I, I, I think, uh, I think one, one, one of the big things, if, if in fact, Danny Granger comes back uh, and is close to what he was before he got uh, the knee operated on, then uh, that's going to give us another score, and maybe he comes off the bench or whatever. Uh, they'll know how to use him, and uh, that makes us pretty tough. It makes us pretty tough. So I think this is a club that, you know, you never know how it's going to break in in May or June. You know, you got to be lucky. You've got to have a lot of things happen. But I think that 
this ball club is good enough to be in the hunt. Watching him last year, that Paul George really came on as a player. Yeah, he's improved every year. We've 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 got a number of players that uh, that uh, have improved every year. Paul George has improved. Roy Hibbert has improved in the middle. Uh, Lance Stevenson has improved in the backcourt. Uh, George Hill's playing pretty well. Uh, you know, we picked up Lewis Scola. Uh, so, you know, everything's fitting into place. I mean, if you're sitting here 13 to 1, 13 and 1, something good's got to be happening. Well, and if, what, what, if George is having an off night, which he will every once in a while, you have other guys to pick him up. It's it's not like okay, it's a, it's not like the Bulls where they depended on Derrick Rose primarily. It, well, they, it's, you know, they the Bulls have uh, the Bulls this this injury this injury to Derrick Rose is uh, you know it's it it's it's too bad. It really is, uh, but still. Uh, the Bulls with Lou Ding, the other players that are healthy, uh, they're, they're still a good ball club. They're still a good ball club. I notice they're not doing too well out on the West Coast right now, but, uh, they got a very good coach and they're still a good basketball team. And, you know, every night in the NBA, every night in the NBA, it just doesn't matter who it is. Every ball club is capable of beating the other ball club. And if you have an off night and you don't come to play and you don't rebound and play defense, then you got a chance of getting beat. Who would you say is the greatest coach in history? Well, uh, I... I I can't, uh, you know, I never get into those type of conversations because that's that's mere speculation. And normally what you're doing is uh, you're dealing, dealing maybe in another era. Uh, there's a number of coaches that, uh, ba- the thing about coaching is, the thing about coaching there's that separates coaches or what I call the intangibles, not the X's and O's and that, but how you get along with players and uh, various things along those lines. But when it comes down to winning championships, I don't care how good a coach you are. If you don't have the talent level, you're not going to win. You're not going to win any championships. It's like the old saying, you never saw... A jockey carry a horse against the finish line at the Kentucky Derby. So, if you look back in history, if I look back of all the years, 60 years, the teams that had the talent level won the championships. Coaching is a really a small part of it. As you look back on your life, is in the world of basketball, as a, a player, a coach, a broadcaster, is there a favorite moment? Well, the only moments, the, the only moments that uh, that you remember, 
the only moments you remember. And I, you know, I don't really care if you're in grade school, junior high, or high school, or college, or the pro game. The only things you ever remember are the three-letter word, W-I-N. That's all there is. Winning is the name of the game, and that's why we play. In other states, the NBA is like the biggest thing. In Indiana, it seems like Indiana basketball in college is bigger than the pros. Is that still the case? Well, it's it's very big. Yeah, now the the uh, Indiana University's always had a tradition uh, in basketball. Uh, long before I ca- I came to Indiana in 1950, uh, they had a tradition of. Uh, Indiana basketball. Uh, Purdue is very popular. Butler is very popular. Now the Pacers are popular. Uh, we had a game uh, last night, and Tom Crean was there, and Rick Pitino was there. So, uh, you know, there's friends. You meet friends and various things, and they back each other, and so they come to the game. What was the the Pacers-Kentucky Colonels rivalry like back in the ABA days? It was good, very good, very good. As a matter of fact, the 73 championship at Freedom Hall, uh, when they had Dan Issel and Artis Gilmore, and they had a heck of a ball club, and we beat them in the seventh game. Uh, that was always the rivalry was Indiana-Kentucky. Because they border each other, you know, they they run right into each other. Well, that was a pretty interesting interview with Bob Leonard from his days uh, at Indiana to his days with the Pacers and the Lakers and getting to broadcast a team that has a shot at the 2014 NBA title. After this brief break, we will be back with Pro Football Hall of Famer Ron Mix. 